three, two, one. Welcome to Citizens Midweek, a podcast for our church family where we take a deeper live and let's look this no, stop. This is why you gotta leave the professionals, Tim. <laughs> Welcome to Citizens Midweek. It's a podcast for our church family in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we take a deeper look at this week's sermon. I'm your host, Jager Kirby, joined this week by, you guessed it, Tim Olson. Here we go. This week, we continued on in our fall sermon series, working through the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. This week, we we're looking at chapter two. Boy, was it a doozy. I think it was was this our longest sermon ever uh it's 45 minutes so yes the podcast audio with the included scripture reading was 49 minutes i know i had some things to say and coming off a of family vacation i was very tired and tim had some tea to spill tired tim has no filter wow. so we went on some rabbit trails for huh. sure i did pull up your manuscript and definitely notice a couple of jokes in there they were like oh no there were some times Tim's i think spicy. i think the original story about blues clues was not supposed to go for six minutes like blues it clues. <laughs> but you know wow spoiler tim we haven't even recapped the sermon yet Tim, why don't you recap the sermon for us this week? Great. We'll change up. Sure. Uh, so this week we looked at Ruth chapter two, which is the longest chapter in the book. Uh, and it picks up right where we left off at the end of chapter one, where Ruth and Naomi uh, have gone back to Bethlehem at the beginning of a harvest. And as soon as you get to chapter one, uh, chapter two, you read this kind of uh, intro into talking about Boaz. So Boaz hasn't officially entered the story yet. He, But the narrator wants us to look out for him, to say, like, watch for this guy entering the scene. They go back to Bethlehem. Ruth goes immediately into the, the fields to glean, uh, which was this ancient practice where you would leave the edges of your field for the poor and those who didn't own land to be able to provide for themselves. And it just so happens, uh, which we know is not actually true, the Lord sovereignly guides that she winds up in Boaz's field and Boaz and her meet. It's this wonderful, beautiful moment that gets way too over-romanticized in the Christian culture. Open, the birds start singing. The, the dwarves come down and kind of you know mm. lead her to her Prince Charming. Sure. And Ruth and Boaz meet. Uh, Boaz immediately just overwhelmingly is generous towards her. Uh, he cares for her. He provides for her in some pretty countercultural and overwhelming ways. And uh, Ruth's response is one of just complete shock, to be honest. She's humble. She's grateful. She can't understand why she's being treated this way. And then you get to kind of the end of of the passage and she goes back home to Naomi and Naomi's like, what happened? Tell me about this. She talks about Boaz and you have this kind of uh, foreshadowing cl- a claim from Naomi where she says, this man is a relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And it's kind of this foreshadowing of what we're about to talk about in weeks three and four. And we talked about how uh, really in chapter two, what we have is this question of, will we trust God when we prosper? So week one was, will we trust God when we suffer? And we looked at all the poor responses to suffering, the compromise of Elimelech, um, the sin and bitterness and suffering of, of Naomi and the way that she just kind of gave up on God. And we talked about how the better alternative was the sacrifice of Ruth in the midst of suffering. And this week, we flipped the question and we said, not will we trust God when we suffer, but will we trust God when we prosper? And we looked at the examples specifically of Boaz and Ruth, how Boaz is marked by deep generosity when he is uh, prospered by God and how Ruth is marked by deep humility and gratitude. 
thought about how both of those things, us being able to prosper well, requires us to view God rightly as the giver and us rightly as the recipient. If we think we are the owner of all things, that it's all ours for our purposes and our uses, then we will not be generous, grateful, or humble. But if God is the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, if God is the giver of all good gifts, then we learn to have a posture which prospers well. And then we kind of ended it by talking about how in the gospel, uh, the character we should identify with the most in Ruth chapter two is not Boaz or Ruth, but rather Naomi. Because Naomi does nothing. She sits at home. She sulks. She's bitter. She's frustrated. She's sad. She's alone. She contributes nothing to the provision. And yet God uses the work of another, namely Ruth, to provide for Naomi's need. And that's what he does for us in the gospel. We do nothing. And yet he uses the work of another, namely his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross through his life, death, and resurrection to provide our greatest and deepest need that in Christ, all of us who trust in him have prospered in the most necessary and true way. Namely, our sins have been forgiven and we've been welcomed in by God. And so we talked about how that is how we learn to prosper well in all of these secondary gifts God gives us. If we are able to go back to the good news of the gospel, view God rightly, view ourselves rightly, then we're able to prosper well with anything else he gives us, which is really icing on the cake in comparison to what is already ours in Christ Jesus. Yeah. I thought the part that stuck out to me the most was definitely that gospel tie-in at the end, just because, I don't know. I think, I don't, I think, I have, I mean, hmm, I'll say this one. I don't find myself reading Ruth that often. No offense. Not the to, go-to, huh? I mean, no. It's like not the one that most Christians are like, man, I studied with for the 12th time this year. Definitely read it before. But I, you know, it's just one of those New Test or Old Testament books that kind of gets glossed over in my mind a little bit. So like having a really um, meaningful, like clear gospel tie-in from somewhere I wasn't expecting, it was just really refreshing. You know, that idea of like, obviously we i know that all scripture is god breathed and good for teaching and things like that but just to like make a really strong connection from a book that i tend to forget about i guess was just very i don't know it was very encouraging of like oh this is jesus <laughs> this is jesus even in the book of ruth that just tends to in my mind be forgotten i thought that was really encouraging but um what about you tim what kind of stood out to you while you were preparing for this week's sermon yeah, kind of along those same lines. I, as I've been studying through Ruth over the past uh, couple of weeks and getting into uh, this morning, you know, it's Monday morning. I was working on uh, two weeks out, Ruth chapter four, and kind of the close of the series, and just how much Naomi is a factor in the book. Mm -hmm. I've just been shocked because you read Ruth and you like get so honed in on Boaz and Ruth and their dynamics and their relationship. Find your Boaz, find your Ruth, marriage, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> and I've just been shocked by how prominent of a role Naomi plays in the book. Uh, I mean, the very beginning of chapter one, Elimelech, and then Elimelech dies, and then it's Naomi. Right. And almost right away, five verses in, Naomi is the central character. She's the one having the conversation. She's the one who's bitter. She's the one that is is left. And then, uh, spoiler alert, but you get to the end of Ruth chapter four, <laughs> and the last character that kind of is the last, to, you know, if it was a play, the first character to enter and the last character to exit usually are pretty important, yeah. right? Naomi's the really the first character to enter, and she's also the last one to exit. Hmm. The narrative of Ruth doesn't end with Ruth and Boaz. Right. They, uh, you know, they do their thing. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But then it ends with Naomi. And it talks about the blessing that God has given Naomi and the way that God has provided for Naomi and the way that he's cared for Naomi. And so I think just Naomi keeps coming to the forefront of my mind in this book of just all of the ways that God 
cares for her through Boaz and Ruth. Because really, that, that's the trickle-down effect. The trickle-down right. effect that's, that's putting the gospel on display for me so much, in my mind, is not Ruth, who takes action, and we'll talk about that in a second, but in Naomi, who receives so much from the Lord hmm. in the midst of her suffering, despite the fact that she literally does nothing. And the one right. thing she does do, Ruth chapter three, we're about to talk about this coming right. Sunday, is not good. Right. And so it's just like, man, she's she does nothing. She suffers a lot, and the so one thing many, she does is wrong. So many spoilers, Tim. So many spoilers. You're really it's, ruining the movie it's for hard. the rest of <laughs> It's hard. I mean, these four chapters are so right. inter, interwoven that it's difficult. I just, I'm enjoying it a well, lot. And in a way, it's just, it's just funny. Like, and I think we made this joke last week too about how sometimes when we read from the Old Testament, we really have the tendency to p- try and figure out the lesson we need to learn from the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of like, uh, so like we would most immediately. What do I need to glean from Ruth? Or maybe Boaz, too. But even you said this last night, and I think we made the joke last week of like, uh, we're like Naomi. <laughs> we're like, we're mm-hmm. like the one that sits to the side and does nothing. And there's that Matt Chandler quote that we love to use of like, you're not David. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're not the hero here. If anything, we are like the find the most milk toast, like needs the most help person. That's who we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we need, we're the most needy person in the story every single time. I mean, even thinking about like, you know, we talk about this chapter one. Ruth, Ruth's pledged to Naomi, and she's like, you know, you're my, your people, my people, your God, my God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bury myself next to right. you, mother-in-law, and which is a shocking promise to make to your mother-in-law. Right. And then Naomi just doesn't say anything in response. She just goes back, and then she's like, I returned with nothing, right. everybody, zero, zilch. And Ruth's right next to her, like, especially not a daughter-in-law. <laughs> especially no daughter-in-laws <laughs> here, Ruth. Uh, yeah, one commentator said uh, Naomi returns to Bethlehem with nothing but the baggage of a daughter-in-law. And I was like, well, somebody doesn't like their daughters in law, I guess. Jeez. But I mean, it was just it's fascinating. Yeah, Naomi and just the role that she plays in this story, which I have found more and more to be true when I actually don't just assume I know the Old Testament narratives, but actually read the Old Testament right. narratives, how much of a role these quote unquote secondary characters in the history of the church, uh, as I've been taught it in the Old Testament, plays right. itself out. And just how much of an example they are to us and even mm-hmm. some of the secondary characters like i don't think naomi's one of these people but we see that in some of the women throughout the old testament that end up in the genealogies of matthew of like some side characters like some side quests turned out to be pretty important by the end of the story i mean extra spoiler alert for week four but Dang, like, that's what we're diving into like you know tamar and right. ruth and um and Rahab yeah. and these women who play prominent roles who are often like, you know, we know about the spies who go to Canaan. How much do we talk about Rahab who right. protects them and is the reason why they're able to stay alive? And um, yeah, just all these prominent factors that uh, these women in the Israelite nation played largely from the outskirts because of how their society was set up, but play such prominent roles in right. the, the kingdom of God. What are we going to dive deep on this week, Tim? Yeah, I think. Uh, gosh, there's so much I want to want to talk more about. Uh, I want to talk more about gleaning. I want to talk about more about God's mosaic law, all of that. But the thing that keeps jumping out to me is that phrasing in verse three of chapter two. So I'm going to read it again. So they get back to Bethlehem. Ruth's like, "I'm going to the field. I'm going to the field," which is important. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. But then it says in verse three, "So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz." Skip to verse four, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. <laughs> so here we are in a field outside of Bethlehem. Uh, Ruth has taken action. 
she has decided to go glean in the field. And then as the, the literal translation would say, as chance chanced, or as we would say it <laughs> right. in 2021 America, as luck would, as have, luck it. would have it, yeah. right? As luck would have it. I just told you, look out for Boaz. Now yeah. as luck would have it, Ruth happened to go to a field. And oh, look, it's Boaz. Yeah. Hundreds of fields to choose from. She happens to yeah. choose Boaz's field. Wink, wink. Right. And then as soon as she's there in the field, oh, look, Boaz comes out to the field, which is very rare right. for a man of his status, as we think he has, to actually come to the field like and interact with the, with the reapers. Yeah, yeah, to talk to these poor, largely poor women, which is very weird right. for a Jewish man to interact with, and he's going to talk to them, and then there's this, this interaction. And so I think uh, what has been pressing on me is what do we do with luck right. as believers? What do we do with luck as Christians, right? Sure. So you have this this category here where the narrator says, look out for Boaz. And then he says, as, as luck would have it, Ruth hmm. goes to the field of Boaz. What do we do with luck? And what do we do with human responsibility? And what do we do with God's sovereignty, right? Sure. So luck is this concept and this category we talk about all of the time in our culture, right? Uh, well, man, that's just really lucky. Oh, uh, like, who I really lucked out there. Oh, man, like, yeah, it just so happened that that's what happened. And it's just kind of this idea and this hmm. phrase that we kind of toss around a lot, right? It's like, right. oh man, like your car crash, like you avoided that. You know, I was on the way to work this morning and uh, I was driving on that road that, you know, both of us, uh, Kirby, you and I both share a road right. and it's a four lane, non-divided, uh, kind of almost like a, it's right. not a highway, but it feels like a highway yeah, sometimes. No, a major and road, I was yeah. going around a curve and a car was coming around on the opposite way and they were swerving into my lane and I honked Ooh. on the horn, just saw them honked on the horn just in time. They swerved back over and yeah. I was like, man, that was really lucky. Hmm. But was it? Right. Right. As believers, what do, what do we actually believe about luck? What do we actually believe about the sovereignty of God? And, and what I love about Ruth is how much the narrator goes to lengths to kind of wink at us and go, now we all know as followers of God that God is in control of all things. Hmm. We all know that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We all know that he holds all things together, that yeah. he's in control. And so I love the way that nothing is a surprise, right? right? Nothing is a surprise to God. Nothing is just luck, right? The, the ancient category of luck is that like there was a multitude of things that could have happened and it, we just happened to have this one that worked right. out. But none of Ruth is luck. Yeah. None of Ruth is mm -hmm. chance. God worked it out. God is the one that, that brings them back to Bethlehem. He is the one that that sends uh, Ruth to this field. He's the one who connects her and Boaz together. And so I think about that a lot with how I view my life. Yeah. I think about that a lot with how I view the circumstances that I'm currently in. Right. A lot of what Ruth presses us to do is to consider our current lot in life, right? To consider uh, wh where we are, what we have, and my own propensity to assume that a lot of it was because of one, either choices that I made, or two, as luck would have it. Right. And, I got, and I think Ruth is calling me back to the sovereignty of God to go, uh, yes, did Naomi make a decision to go back to Bethlehem? Mm -hmm. Right? Did she say, I'm going back to Bethlehem? Yeah. Yes. Was God in control of that coming back to Bethlehem? Yes. Yeah. Did Ruth decide to go to this particular field? Yes. Yeah. Was Ruth responsible for going to this field? Yes. Right. Did God lead her to the field of Boaz? Yeah. Yes. Uh, in a little while, Boaz, he shows up to the field. Did Boaz choose to go to the field and interact with the reapers? Yes, that was his decision. He was responsible for that. Did God orchestrate it sovereignly such that he would go to the field? Did he, did God bring Boaz to the field? Yes. And and theologians throughout church history have, have held this tension of human culpability or responsibility and God's sovereignty and have said, hey, both 
are true in our yes. lives. Where the Bible <laughs> right. holds you responsible for the actions you took, and it says God is in control of all things. Sure. And they don't contradict. It's one of the, the deep tensions sure. of Scripture that for centuries, church theologians have been wrestling with of the Bible says we are responsible. The Bible says God is in control of all things, and those things for some reason or another don't contradict right. according to the scriptures. Yeah, there's I don't know. I, I think for me as a as a Christian, <laughs> spoiler alert, that's my spoiler. I'm a Christian. Um I think the real thing that I've tried I've said before is like I don't know if we as believers can really have too strong of a category for just blind coincidence. Like how you know, like, oh, we know that the Holy Spirit exists. What are we doing thinking that things are coincidence? You know, like we're not yeah. playing this game of luck and chance. But also I think on the flip side, I kind of see a maybe a pitfall sometimes is if you go too far towards the like the side that's like uh well Ruth chose, mm-hmm. I guess. Ruth knew what to do. Mm-hmm. I think I've also seen this weird kind of subculture where we really like almost exalt our instinct as mm-hmm. like um, I don't know. I wonder sometimes if we don't go too far by being like, well, whatever comes to my mind is what God's trying to tell me to do. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, how do you think we wrestle with that tension of like, I don't know if Ruth would have or even would have been right to say, God has told me to go to this field and it's yeah. going to be the right one. But she did what seemed right at the time and it was what God used. Like, where do you kind of, what's the tension there? What's the, the what? how do we kind of discern the difference? Is there a difference? Am I splitting hairs? I tend to do that. Well, that I mean, that's some of the tension of even just Christian decision making, sure. right? Uh, you know, one of the questions that I got a lot coming out of last week was, uh, "Hey, remind, like, help me understand more why Boaz is or not Boaz, why Elimelech is wrong when he is trying to provide for his family, so he goes to Moab, right?" And and the main reason why that was off, why that was sin for Elimelech to do that, was because of the particulars of the situation. They were leaving the promised land, they were going to an enemy nation, and he was settling down there. Uh, in distrust and lack of repentance to God. So it was some particulars. And so I think what we have to do in in a lot of our Christian decision-making and our action is we need to think about, we talked about this last week with the open doors thing, is we need to fall back on, okay, what are the biblical principles? What are uh, us as uh, new creations in Christ, what are what are we called to live into? And then within those parameters, then there comes a lot of biblical wise decision making, right? Of okay, in light of I'm um, within the parameters of God's design, there's some freedom and flexibility, right? Uh, so even take Ruth two for example. Ruth has committed herself to Naomi, so she knows now I have a biblical responsibility to step out and do something. Because notice the other pitfall, right? What she doesn't do is go. I'm back in Bethlehem. I I've entrusted myself under the wings of the Lord. Bring it to me. Bring me the harvest, right? (laughs) She goes and takes action. She steps out. She puts herself in danger. She goes to the field. They show up. I mean, the shocking, the narrative is shocking how quick it is. It's like they arrive in Bethlehem, boom, roost in the field. Like it's just so quick. And so she, her trust in the provision of God that is so evident in chapter one doesn't mean she doesn't do anything. In fact, it actually then necessitates her to do something. But at the same time, she does it within the biblical parameters. So she has been living with this Jewish family for 10 years, probably knows a lot of these practices. She's not just pulling it out of nowhere that she knows to go glean. Naomi doesn't tell her to go glean. She says, I'm going to go glean. She knows there's a a Jewish system here that's going to set up to provide for us. And so within the biblical parameters, there's a lot of freedom. I'm going to step forward in light of these kind of guardrails of of what God has called us to as a people. Um, 
And I think this has implications all the way down, all the way down the line in terms of our decision making, in terms of uh, you know what what steps we take, in terms of our faith, in terms of how we live out our faith in day to day decisions. Uh, I think about this a lot with like having conversations with uh, some of our single folks about who they date, right? And it's like, how do I know? Did God open a door? Did He not? This and that, and trying to encourage folks of like, what are the biblical parameters? Who can right. you date and not date biblically? Right. And then inside of that, there's a lot of freedom for. Christian wisdom mm-hmm. and Christian decision making. Right. I think too, like I'm, I think sometimes the the tension maybe is on this like maybe overemphasis on some sort of like foreknowledge that Christians would like to have. Mm-hmm. If, you know what I mean? Of like mm-hmm. if I think if I was Ruth in this circumstance, I would have wanted to like I prayed and I heard God say go to this field, mm-hmm. and that's just not what we get every time. So like Ruth and. I, Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's some of. I mean, they the, the, this phrase is used in more than one place, but I think it's an axe. But like, there's a there comes to a point where we just look at Ruth and say, and say she did what seemed right to her at the time, mm-hmm. and God revealed to her that it was the right move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but it's not like this. God told you in a dream, so you went and did it. It's like sometimes you just got to do what seems right. Obviously, with prayer and wisdom and and discernment, but to some degree, it's like. Uh, do the doing and let God show you along the way, you know? Um, Cause I think, you know, in some of our immaturity, we want the answer before we start solving the, we, not solving the problem, but we want the answer before we, you know, we step out in faith at all, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and Ruth would have, Ruth would have done the whole, like, bring it on me, bring it to me kind of thing. If she had needed a really clear answer on where to go first, you know, her call was just like, Oh, do she did what seemed right to her and the Lord showed her along the way kind of what he had for her, you know? Yeah. Which in and of itself, you got to walk that fine line, right? right? Because you, uh, Elimelech also did what seemed right, right to him. That's exactly right. And it was against the biblical pattern yeah, and design. That's exactly right. And so you have to be able to go, okay, what, what seems not right to me, but right to me as a follower of Jesus yeah. because it's right to the Lord. Yeah. And I was literally about to say, like, we know that it's, we know the line there because we talked about this last week. Like we can't just do what we think Mm -hmm. or we have this tendency to kind of baptize our instinct without praying about it, without actually seeking the Lord's Mm -hmm. guidance and stuff. So like, yeah, it's definitely, there's definitely the tension. Yeah. And you see that even with, with, I'm not going to continue spoiling learning this. Uh, I think you see that even with... And you see this in the book of revelation, (laughs) just spoil the whole ending. I'm just going to give you the whole book (laughs) of the Bible. Uh, you see that with Boaz yeah. too, right? Uh, and I, what I what I think is fascinating about Ruth again, I'm just I just really like this story right now. It's very fun. Um, is that Boaz doesn't pause to consider what to do with Ruth, hmm. right? You don't have this example where Boaz hmm. is like, "Let me pray whether or not I want to include her. Let me go like you know fast for ten days, and then I'll decide if I want her to be you know welcomed in or if I'm going to show her kindness." He just acts, right? He's a worthy man, a man of the Lord, and he's just acting in response to what he knows. Uh, the mosaic law says I let people glean and yeah. that includes foreigners. And I know Ruth, I know that she's entrusted herself to God. And so he's just responding yeah. out of what is already true about him as an identity. What is, what he has already committed to from the forehand. Like part of 
Boaz's generosity is tied up in the very first picture we get of Boaz is that he's a worthy man right. who's greeting his reapers with a blessing of the Lord. Yeah. And so already the first glimpse we get of Boaz is that he is a man of God. Yeah. And so, yeah, it makes sense. I'm a man of God. Of course, I would respond in generosity right. towards those around me in need. Right. And he just goes with, okay, this is who I am before the Lord. This is what God has required of me. And now this is just the natural outworking of that that I'm just going to step into and be faithful and let the Lord handle the rest. Well, we, we, what we see in Boaz is a man who's been sanctified by walking with the Lord for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly with error because he's still human. But his, his responses now reflect God, reflect the faithfulness mm-hmm. of God more than maybe other people in the narrative who haven't been faithfully following the Lord for as long. You know, it's not that he's, you know, a perfect person, but we see that, you know, his default responses are more God honoring than they're not in these circumstances. Yeah. Which just reflects a character of a man whose heart is after the Lord. Yeah. 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 And that is the great, I mean, everything we're talking about is the great tension of Mm -hmm. the narrative of Ruth and why it takes a lot of discernment where we can't just plug ourselves in one for one and go, this is prescriptive. What are the principles? We got to use discernment and read it descriptively. Who's the good? Who's the bad? Because if you just read the story of Ruth trying to go, how do I live out each character? It would be a really weird dating exercise. (laughs) One, it'd be a very weird dating exercise. (laughs) Two, it's going to be a little bit of whiplash. Elimelech acts quickly and is wrong. Ruth acts quickly and is right. Naomi, chapter three, is going to act quickly and is wrong right. again. Ruth four, Boaz is going to act quickly and is right. right. And so you just can't go. The theme of of Ruth is that we work quickly and God's going to bless it because that yeah. is not always true. That we have to look back. Okay, what are the principles? How is it teaching us about what it means to follow the Lord right. and to act in line with who the Lord is? Any final thoughts for today, Tim, as we wrap up? Yeah, I think, uh, man, just stay with us. I've been getting a lot of good feedback on Ruth. I really, I really enjoyed it. I think what I really, uh, I keep saying what I really like, and I just keep saying a 50 things, but... Um, You're the kid that highlights every verse in the Bible, <laughs> I, aren't you? I, I don't want to talk about it. Um, yeah, stay stay with us. Uh, Ruth has, has been so good for me. I hope it's been good for you. I've been getting a ton of good feedback. Uh, one of the things I like about Ruth is that each chapter ends with like this hold on to your horses. Right. Uh, Ruth chapter one ends with this, you know, a harvest has returned to Bethlehem. Wait, wait on that. And then chapter two ends with this uh, saying from Naomi where she says, he is a relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth three is about to get so crazy. And so I'm so excited. Stay with us. Continue to read it. I want to encourage you, if you have not just stopped, take 20 minutes, read all the way through Ruth. It's very worth it just to understand the story as a whole. Um, but I'm excited to keep looking forward. We got two more weeks left talking about uh, trusting God in the middle. And then uh, Ruth four will wind it up with, uh, will we trust God to save us? So yeah. I'm really excited about where we're going for this. Awesome. series. Yeah, really excited for it. Cool. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We'll catch you next time on the Citizens Movie. We'll see you guys on Sunday.